Hello everyone, welcome to the seventh episode of the season two of Crankcast. I'm your host, Tudor, and you're watching Crankcast, a podcast sponsored by Crankhead. Yeah, I'm sponsoring my own podcast right now. <laughs> it's getting that bad. Now, in all seriousness, though, uh, we have a few interesting topics, that's for sure, for, for today um, that we're going to approach. And then we're having a bit of a change of format. Um, so we're going to keep the new section. We're going to do a blast from the past section. We're going to talk about a, an older bike that somehow was important and it might still be important. And then we're also going to talk about Crankit and what have we been up to because there are a lot of things that happened. And so I want to give sort of this weekly update both to you guys and to myself because I think it's important to keep track of, of what we're doing. But we're quickly going to go through the news topics. So um, you can try a zero motorcycle before buying. Ducati Panigale V4S. It's an amazing time lap, uh, lap, ti lap time at Jerez. Um, free Bimota TC3D are for sale in England. We're going to talk about what those are. The Honda CB350 RS is launching. Uh, we found another Honda, a CL360, that's um, in kind of mint condition. Barn find, not really. <clears throat> We're going to talk about MV Agusta with their new Brutale, the, the, the Brutale 800 Dragster. And finally, we're going to talk about a rumor that we might get a new wannabe superbike from Yamaha based on the MT-07 platform. And now finally, the controversial or blast from the past section, we are actually going to talk about Ducati. And by the time they came out with the 999, and everyone both loved it and absolutely hated it. Then we're going to talk about the updates for Crankit. But um, that's for a little bit later. So let's start with the beginning and let's talk about news. So in selective places in the US, you can now try a zero motorcycle before actually buying it. Now, if you don't know what zero is, um, zero is an American motorcycle manufacturer that builds electric bikes. They want to be sort of the Tesla of motorcycles. And it's fine. Their bikes are fine. Uh, they're actually quite good to ride. Of course, they all suffer a bit with the range as all electric motorcycles do. I think in the motorcycling industry, this issue is much more prev prevalent than um, than we have it in the car industry. Uh, makes sense. Bikes are smaller. Batteries have to be smaller. So on and so forth. But we have two companies. Right? So we have Zero, and then we have another company called Eagle Rider, which previously they have been a motorcycle rent rental company. And these two companies decided to partner up and offer a service to both their customers. So what you can do now is you can rent zero motorcycles at Eagle Rider. Now, this is available only in five parts of the USA. Uh, I think it was Florida and other four places, probably Los Angeles. Um, I'm not 100% sure though. But yeah, you, you only have five places in US that you can do this. So you can't do it in Europe. Heck, you can't do it in most of the US either way. But still, um, so these mics can be rented as usual, so there's nothing special in that. What is special, though, is that if you go and rent a Zero bike and then you decide to buy one, Zero dealers will have to give you 300%, uh, 300 US dollars back. 300% would be amazing. Imagine going into a showroom and like, hey, yeah, I want to buy this bike for $5,000. Sure, we'll give you $1,500, $15,000. Yeah, okay, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, so... If you'd rent a Zero bike for Eagle Rider before, Zero will give you a $300 discount, which is great. And you might be asking, okay, well, how much is the rental then? Um, I actually think it's it's reasonable. It's really reasonable. It's $99 a day rental prices. So what this means is that you can try Zero for three days, and then if you buy it, you basically don't pay for trying it. 
that's pretty cool. And if you decide to try it only for a day or for two days, you actually get paid for trying it. Sort of. I mean, you still have to spend money on the bike, and zero bikes aren't really um, cheap, as most electric vehicles are not. Serious electric vehicles. But still, I think it's an interesting idea, and it's definitely a cool way to start to popularize the concept of electric bikes. I'm honestly I'm not against them. I'm, I'm willing to try them. I want to try them. I want to see how they are, how they feel, uh, how they make me feel as a rider. Um, but I can't, because I'm obviously not in the US, so um, that's fun. But now we have to move on to the second part, um, second, second bit of news. So, we have a Panigale V4S. Nothing special, I mean, they updated it for 2020, right? But uh, we've known about this bike. What's new about it? So, the V4S lapped around the motorcycle um, circuit of Jerez in Spain just two seconds off the pace of a MotoGP bike. That's amazing. So how did this happen? The Ducati themselves held a test day at Jerez with their MotoGP team. Now, a lot of the initial testing sessions for MotoGP were either cancelled, some stages were delayed, like the, the US ones, for example. And so they had to find sort of workarounds. And um, what Ducati did was they held a test day and they made the riders actually ride their street bikes, the V4S in this case. So to give you a difference of the lap time, right? Ducati's best time in MotoGP at Jerez in 2020 was 1 minute 41 seconds point one. This time with the V4S, that time was 1 minute 43 seconds point three. You might argue that world conditions maybe are a bit different, maybe it was way hotter then and you didn't have that much grip. Look, you can make a lot of arguments for what, well, this isn't apples to apples, and look, I get you. But at the end of the day, the conclusion is that this bike was just two seconds slower. You, you, a bike you can go into the showroom and buy was just two seconds slower than a proper MotoGP prototype. Now, that's amazing. Of course, the rider makes 90% of it in this case. Um, like, So they had riders like um, Miller, they had Johan Zarco, they had uh, Enea Bastianini, they had Jorge Martin, and other riders as well. So, yeah, they had top riders, they had MotoGP riders doing it. Of, of course, you as a Gumby, or me as a Gumby, can't do that time. But it's definitely an amazing testament of the bike. <laughs> Sorry, I got interrupted by the garage owner there. But um, I want to say something else. Um, the last point regarding this article is that the bikes were actually stocks. They were stock Panigale V4Ss with some aftermarket components. But all these aftermarket components, you can buy them in the Ducati Racing Performance Catalog. So you could get the exact same bikes that Miller and his gang, I guess, rode in this test day and try to do a 143 uh, free. Yeah, um, that was not going to happen because we're not Miller or Zarco or whoever's riding the bike. But yeah, still, uh, it's this. I think it's it's a proper testament to how good bikes are these days, especially these super bikes. One, it's a good testament to how much technology from MotoGP got into the regular bikes. And second, it's an amazing testament to how amazing our road bikes are today. That's wild. Honestly, I, I love it. We are going to into more sort of rarities. So, there are three Bimota Tessie 3Ds for sale in England right now. And I'm not speaking a foreign language. What the heck is this bike? So, um, it was a bike made by Bimota quite a while ago. Um, it's fairly unique. And it's mostly unique because of its design. So, you know how usually on a bike, right? You have the frame up top, and then you have a fork coming down from... Um, 
basically from where your handlebars are. This is not the same. <laughs> so you do have to still have handlebars, obviously, but then the there is an assembly that holds the front wheel that comes sort of from where your engine would usually be. So you have this weird gap between your upper fairing and then your lower wheel in the front. It looks really weird. It was a really strange design and it was a really strange prototype and attempt. But still, um, now we have three of them for sale in England. These are some special limited editions, but you can buy three of them, which is amazing. They're unique bikes. Oh, let's go into a bit more details about this bike. So on specs, it might not sound that amazing. Um, so it only produces 95 horsepower um, and it's powered by a Ducati V-Twin, a 1078cc Ducati Twin. So it's an older Ducati Twin. I mean, obviously the bike is older as well. Um, it costs you about $44,000 for you to buy. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, I get it. It's a unique bike. It's They are all unique, like... This is properly unique bike. You know, this is not just, oh, this is so unique. No, this is an actual unique bike. It's amazing. I'm not sure if it's worth it. 44K is um, a hell of a lot of money, but it's cool. Now, you're not paying for nothing, though. Uh, so this bike did have really trick components. So it had Olin's suspension, even though it looked weird, but it was Olin's. It had Brembo calipers. So the components on, them, on that were not bad at all. I mean, not at all, for sure. Um, but it did have that weird front assembly. Um, so yeah, do whatever you want to do with that. On the next news topic, we have Honda. So they released a Honda CB350 RS. Uh, the CB350 was an answer to Royal Enfield when they came with their own sort of 350 category bike, um, like standard retro-inspired bike. And so Honda responded, like, it was four months ago or something like that, with their CB350. And now they have a new version of it, the CB350 RS. It is a scramble. A, a scramble. <laughs> it's a scrambler. Um, so this is what Honda tried to make this bike look like a scrambler. And looks-wise, they did it. Um, and in the name, it, yes, it's a scrambler. But it's not quite a scrambler. So... First of all, the ground clearance is, um, well, not much. Let's start off with that. And you don't have, like, proper protection. Um, I mean, you do have a skid plate, but, yeah, no proper protection. So you can think of this bike as sort of like what the original new Ducati Scrambler was like, right? The OG one. Not the desert sled, just, just the Scrambler, right? Yes, you could take it off on fire roads and stuff like that. You could definitely do that. But you probably wouldn't want to do much more with that. This is sort of the same thing with this, but with a smaller engine, of course, a 350. Um, it looks cool, though. I'll give them that. The retro design that Honda does is really cool. So if I were after a hippie retro bike, this this would be on my list for sure. Um, so they changed the seat, so it has a different seat. It has a slightly more tilted exhaust. Uh, it has a skid plate, um, although I wouldn't necessarily put all my money onto how strong the skid plate is. Uh, they have forked sleeves now because you're going to do off-roading uh, and everything can be blacked out. So uh, no chrome on this one. Another slight inconvenience, I guess, is that you have Y-spoke alloy wheels uh, on 17-inch rims. Now, the fact that these are 17-inch rims, that's fine for me. I don't care about that. But I really wish there were like, proper spoked wheels and not aluminum wheels. Aluminum wheels. Um, I think that would make, one, the look much better, and two, it would increase its sort of off-road credibility. But yeah, this is what Honda gave us. And to be fair, these bikes are mostly just going to be pavement, pavement queen, so that's fine. 
Um, the bike produces about 20.7 horsepower and it weighs about 180 kilograms, 179 point something. Definitely um, not the lightest thing out there for the capacity and for the horsepower. But hey, it's this is a bike you can mostly buy for the style of it and for how it looks and for how you look on it. And for the fact that, hey, you can take it on a fire road if you're a beginner. This is an amazing bike. This bike, actually, yeah, as a beginner, this bike would allow you to do so many stuff. First of all, you have a, a really mellow engine. Yes, you might get bored of it, but I mean, you're a beginner, so you might get bored of almost anything at some point. Um... You can take it to fire road, so you can see if you like the sort of off-road bit. You can definitely take it on the street. It looks cool. You look cool on it. So, yeah, I actually think this is a neat little bike. Um, I'd love to try it out one day. We're sticking to Honda for a bit um, because staying in the sort of 350cc category, so there was a 1975 Honda CL360 found in a crate. This bike is basically like a time capsule. If you want to see how things were done back in 1975, just take a look at this bike. Yeah. Now, you might say that what was, has been in a crate for that long, so it might, must be immaculate, right? No, not really. Um, like, yes, a lot of the things are immaculate. For example, the leather seat, which is almost impossible on a bike from 75. But some things aren't. So um, there is corrosion on the chrome bits. Um, like, for example, the dials are slightly discolored. Obviously not perfect, and obviously if you want to like, properly restore it, you have to put quite some money in it. Plus, a bike sitting for almost 50 years now, that like imagine the hoses in that on, and like everything on it. The tires on it have to be terrible, so you definitely have quite a lot of money to invest in that bike in order to put it back to its sort of showroom capabilities. But speaking of showroom, showroom condition, um, the odometer showed less than two miles on it. So yeah, brand new bike, brand new bike. Someone, so how it got to this place? Basically, someone bought it in the United States, and then they left it into a crate for conservation. For the life of me, I can't figure out why. Why would anyone do that? Why? Not not why someone would do this, but why a CL three sixty for conservation? I mean, someone gotta love their Hondas. But yeah, now it, it was found basically 50 years later um, in this state. So it's, it's from some points of view, it's immaculate. And from some points of view, it's pretty bad, like mechanically speaking. Yeah, you need to do some, some maintenance on that one. Oh, hey, still cool. Hey, the car world has barn finds. Apparently, we have crate finds in the motorcycling industry. Now, this is exciting news. And this is news that I'm actually properly excited to because we have a new MV Agusta Brutale 800 and the Brutale 800 Double R Dragster. Woohoo! So, uh, it's going to feature 140 horsepower from its 798cc triple. That's a really healthy amount from an 800cc, if you ask me. I mean, the old Triumph Speed Triple um, was an, uh, was an 1100cc bike, I think. Uh, that produced about 140 horsepower or 130, 30, 40 horsepower. This one is 300 cc less and produces the same amount of horsepower. That's amazing. And it does all of this with some updated engine internals and also while being compliant with Euro 5. So that's amazing. Um, yeah, MV did a good job on this one. So what this bike also features is a new IMU system with uh, cornering ABS, with lean-sensitive lean traction control. You have wheelie control, adaptive LED lights, all the bits and tricks that you would expect out of a modern high-end motorcycle. Also come with a 5.5-inch TFT dash, 
Not the biggest one, but honestly, on bikes, um, I don't really care that much about uh, display size on them. Um, it, it's not it's not a complete departure from the old one, right? So it's still a Brutale. It's still a Brutale 800 for all intents and purposes. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, because I loved the old Brutale. I never ridden one, but from reading about it, from um, documenting myself about it, and from um, from looking at it, yeah, I love the old Brutale. So I think this is going to be quite nice. I mean, MV has always had amazing build quality, and amazing components put on them, and amazing prices, um, amazingly high prices. But they sort of, they are one of those brands that can kind of justify them. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and speaking of design and looking at it, the design is absolutely amazing. It's jaw-dropping. It's superb. It's, uh, oh my God, you can definitely jizz. Yeah, five seconds looking at it and you gotta go to the bathroom clean yourself up. Seriously though, the bike, I mean, the old Dragster, especially the Dragster R, looked amazing, but this one is just as good, if not maybe better. Um, one cool thing is that the Dragster actually keeps its spoked wheels, which is one thing that I really hoped it would keep because they were such a staple of that sort of version of the Dragster and they, they keep it, so that's amazing. And also, this is one of the only modern bikes, like Euro 5 compliant, and I would not go ahead and change its wheels. Seriously. Uh, not its wheel. Like, what am I talking about? I would not go ahead and change its exhaust. It's got a beautiful looking exhaust. And this is the stock exhaust you get on the bike. This is the most amazing thing to me. You get this out of the box from MV. Euro 5 compliant and everything. That's so cool. I love it. I honestly love it. Good job, MV. Really, really good job. Now, can you give me one to write, please? I know I'm not a big influencer yet, but um, please, <laughs> please. Finally, the last point in this news, which we're gonna quickly sort of go over, um, is we might have a new superbike based on the Yamaha MT-07. Now, I'm gonna put a question here. What's the MT-07 engine not in currently? So they have, this, this engine is incredible because they have it in a naked bike. That's cool. Have it in an adventure bike. That's cool. Now having it in a, in a sports bike, will be pretty darn nice. It's going to be a pretty nice platform. And if they do this, I genuinely think that this MT-09 is going to become what the SV650 platform used to be, an entry-level entry into racing. Still a really potent platform. I mean, they could probably extract somewhere around like 80, 90 horsepower out of that engine. So you would have some go, for sure, um, while being really easy to mod. Yeah, I think this would be cool. Uh, it, and it makes sense because... In Europe, at least, the R6 isn't sold any longer because of Euro 5. Yamaha didn't update their 600 Supersport to meet Euro 5 emission standards. And so this would come in as a perfect replacement, especially for Europe, but not even, even in America. Like, this would be, the NT07 was so well received, I don't see why an R07 or something like that would be well received. I really think it would. Um, and this is not confirmed yet, so Yamaha didn't just go out and announce it, but a lot of sources um, mention it. So, Also, I want to mention, thanks a lot to uh, Ride Apart and MotorcycleNews.com for providing most of these this topics that we're discussing here. Um, and yeah, I had one last point here, that the aftermarket for this will be absolutely huge. The aftermarkets, like markets for the MT-07 and even for the Tenere 700 are, are big, and they're only getting bigger by the day. And so you yeah, you have a lot of off-the-shelf parts you can already use on a new sort of R7, I guess. Um, so this would be this will definitely be interesting. I'm I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I, I would love to ride it. Honestly, I would love to ride it. And and that sound from a twin, 
it's honestly not a bad sound for a small V-twin. It, it's really good, the, the um, cross-plane sort of twin. But yeah, this has been the news section. We've been going on for like 20 minutes with news. So it's time to jump into the other sort of um, two ones, two categories of this podcast. So next one, we're going to talk about blast from the past. Now here we're going to talk about a bike that's both both loved and hated, but not at the same time. I'm talking about the Ducati 999. This marked sort of the end of an era for Ducati. Because afterwards, I think the 1098 got introduced, and that one sort of introduced like new styling principles for Ducati. But um, I would say this, the 999 really was the last sort of old-school Ducati, old-school design. And um, if you think about bikes like the 996, old-school design in Ducati was amazingly beautiful. But the 999... When they launched it, it was a great success in world, the World Superbike Series. So as a bike, it was a great contender to like world titles. But still, it had one, one really big issue. And for Ducati, it's a weird one to have, but it's a styling. Styling was really controversial. So if you look at this bike from the rear, it looks good. If you look at it from the side, it looks good. If you look at it from the front... Um, <laughs> yeah, not as much. So, in my opinion, to be fair, I'm on the side where I don't really like its front design, but I don't hate it as much as some do. So, what this bike featured was the most controversial. Or controversial was their headlights. So they had sort of two round headlights stacked one on top of the other, which is like nothing else Ducati has ever made, right? So Ducati has always had on their super bikes the sort of two side lights in the front, right? They were horizontal, but now they had two round ones vertically aligned. It looks so weird. It looks like a like a body cyclops or something. I don't know. For a bike that should be svelte, that should be agile, should be inspiring beauty and stuff like that, made from Ducati, that front end looked like it was taken from, I don't know, from Acerbis, the Acerbis like, aftermarket off-road website and just slapped on there. I personally don't like it. Um, rest of the bike I think looks really cool. I have got nothing against the rest of the bike. But this one is a bit... Mm, mm, the front was a bit controversial. This bike, and this is the main reason why this bike is either really loved by hardcore enthusiasts or really hated. So if you're a car guy, you can take the 999 and compare it to something like a Porsche 996. Some people absolutely love them and swear by them. Some people absolutely hate them because of how they look. This is the exact same case with the 999. Um, now don't get me wrong, the bike was a hugely well-performing bike, right? So the engine was good. It had tons of low-down torque. It had good suspension. Heck, it won World Superbike. That's got to say something, right? It wasn't shit by any means. It was an upgrade over the 996. But some the design, I think, was such a big mistake that a lot of people just didn't care at that point. They didn't care about the performances or how it did. No, it, it is just ugly. And I kind of get it. Honestly, I kind of get it from one point of view. But yeah, this was Blast from the Past, which is sort of going to replace the old story time segment. And now we're going to go into the final segment of this podcast and about what's new on Crank It, because, well, actually, we do have some news. We have quite a lot of news for this week. Starting off with TikTok. So Crank It has had a TikTok in the past, but I never actually took it seriously. Um, I What I did was just to like, GoPro videos of my rides, and then I would put them in like a would have like huge vertical bars 
and that's why I would dump on TikTok. I thought TikTok was just thing where like, you just post a lot of shit and then it will somehow come to be good. Um, yeah, that imagine how that works. It didn't. I mean, it got some views, but not nothing to write home about. Um, so I kind of dropped TikTok for a while. I was okay, I'm just gonna focus on YouTube and uh, see how it goes. So I have an Instagram already. But now I, I sort of realized, that, okay, you know what? I need to get back into it. I need to get to it with original content. So on the Crank It, crank it um, TikTok, what you're going to have now is um, different videos of what we are currently doing. So if you want to be as up-to-date as possible with Crank It, you can follow us on TikTok. So currently, for example, we are building my KLX 450R Supermoto, and you can see a lot of the details and a lot of scenes from that one. We're also going to release proper videos on YouTube. Don't worry, we're not I'm not moving over or something. It's just a, a complimentary platform. But yeah, I just want to tell you that it's there. So if you want to watch, go ahead. And speaking of the Supermoto Build series, we officially started it. Um, so I, I'm done with... I, I bought a new bike. If you're watching this podcast, you might have seen glimpses of it in the rear. and might see it now, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, I finished installing some mods on that bike, and now it's time to f- go fully properly into the Kallax 450R Supermoto. Um, it's the 18th of February at the time of recording this, and probably publishing as well. And uh, it's it's due, <laughs> right? Because we need to do a lot of stuff to that bike. Um, I have an, a huge list. It's like a, a full notebook filled with operations that need to be done to that bike. So I was like, okay, not yeah, it's time to get started. So. I already have like half of the parts here, uh, so I need to buy some more stuff. Um, some things are on the way, something I need to order, something I can get locally. It's a bit of a mash of stuff, but we're doing a lot of things to it, right? We were, I know the bike was already a supermoto, um, but it was quite a shit one, as you might have seen in the video of I bought an amazingly shit supermoto. But yeah, we're doing it right now. We're doing it right. We have a lot of brand new parts for it. We're going to throw at it and see how it goes. I really want to have a bike that I love and a bike that's actually mine that I worked on it. So we started with the disassembly. Um, So we took off all the fairings, uh, like all the plastics on the bike, except the rear fender. Uh, We didn't take that one off yet. We might need to in the future. But yeah, so we took most of those things off. Uh, We also took off the... um, uh, the headlight, <clears throat> because we need to fix some stuff in the headlight as well. Um, but we need access. <clears throat> we also, like one of the first things I wanted to address and to see how they're done is the electrical system. There's going to be a lot of electrical stuff that will need to be done to the bike. And so I need to get a proper look at it. And so we also had to take off the tanks. So we disconnected the fuel lines and then we we emptied, the, we drained the tank before that with an electric pump. And then, um, yeah, what we basically did is just we, um, we removed the tank and now you can have you can have a really good perspective of what's happening under there and this is why I wanted this so let's get this out of the way right this is my first ever build series so I'm definitely not an expert at this we're gonna do it we're gonna build this bike sorry I had a bit of a brain freeze from that moment but yeah we're gonna do it so thanks all for watching Crank It you can follow us on Instagram TikTok and YouTube as well and um, yeah see you next time these are the updates for this week